On this episode of For Better Self and Net Worth, I've had the absolute privilege of talking to the founder of Made for Freedom, Dawn Mansky. Dawn Mansky fights human trafficking with style. She's witnessed the many atrocities of human trafficking firsthand during her 10 years of living in China. After meeting children who are being used as slave labor and seeing a report with girls under the age of 10 being sold to men, she knew she had to do something to inflict change. Dawn started her social enterprise, Made for Freedom, with an idea revolving around her favorite international clothing, and the company has since then grown into a lifestyle brand carrying clothes, bath and body, jewelry, home goods, and many, many more items that would make amazing gifts and amazing purchases for yourself. They've partnered with over 20 restoration centers and suppliers around the world that's provided over 25,000 hours of dignified employment for survivors of trafficking and those that have come out of marginalized situations. Dawn's passion, stories, and insights into the fashion industry and supply chain will not only inspire your view, but you're going to want to make a difference after listening to this. I also want to add that this is going to be a very mature subject that we discuss. We're going to discuss human trafficking, sexual assault, and just overall violations against minors. So listener discretion is advised. Now, I do believe this is a very important topic because I feel like the topic of human trafficking will briefly make it into the mainstream media and often get swept under the rug or overlooked, but this is something that is affecting everyone of all classes, all ages, and all parts of the world. And it's something I'm very passionate about. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this. So without further ado, sit back, enjoy this episode, and also let me know what you think. You are tuning in to For Better Self and Net Worth Podcast. This is a podcast where I encourage you to live the life of your dreams by adopting the right mindset, navigating through tough challenges, and respecting your bank account. I interview entrepreneurs and empire builders from across the globe as they share how they have come to live the lives of their dreams and the challenges they had to break through. I also have a few solo episodes where I talk about the lessons learned and navigating in a world full of naysayers, negative mindsets, and money grabbers. I personally believe that attitude is everything, and with the right attitude, you can get the life that you dream of. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you're listening, make sure you have hit the subscribe button, and on Apple, give me some love by leaving a review. Most of all, I hope every episode you hear on here leaves you inspired and on fire to live your best life without breaking the bank. Hello, everyone. I am so excited today. We're going to talk about something that is a little more somber, but in my opinion, needs to be talked about more. It is something that has been on my heart for quite some time. And I've always been looking for ways to get involved in the fight against it. We're going to talk about human trafficking. And today I have with me social entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Made for Freedom, Dawn Mansky. Dawn Mansky is here to tell us about her journey, how she became the CEO of Made for Freedom and her journey, and then how she got to be passionate about this and the mission of her company. So Dawn, welcome to For Better Self and Net Worth. I am so honored that you are with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that we've gotten connected. Tell us about how you came to be the CEO of Made for Freedom, how, how this vision came along, the backstory of it. <laughs> it's a, it was an interesting little jaunt, I should say. And, and in, in one side of it is, it was three things that kind of collided together in my life. And it was learning about human trafficking. Um, I lived in Asia for 10 years and saw with my own eyes what it looks like when, when vulnerable people are exploited and brought into a situation where they are used for sex, for money, for other things, for labor. Um, and so I saw this horrible issue and understood it and knew people that had been trafficked. Years later, and it kind of weighed on me, but then years later, I saw a video of a man, an undercover reporter who went into Vietnam asking for the youngest girls he could find. And it just, it just kind of ripped me up inside. And, and at that point, I realized this isn't just the city that I lived in where I saw it happening. This is a global thing. And this is a horrible heinous thing that's happening to little girls. And for some reason, there are people who want this. There are people forcing young girls to do this. And there are young girls grow and boys growing up in this life. And that just makes me sick. And so I desperately wanted to do something. I just, I just didn't know how I could be part of the solution. I mean, I was learning more and I was researching. I went on a trip to India just for two weeks, just to learn about what does it take to bring someone out of that situation and restore them and help them re re-enter society. Um, so I was doing all these things. And at a certain point I, I got married. Seems like it's a very different thing, but those are two of the other pieces. So wedding gifts one from my husband, he gave me a wedding gift of these sandals. And I had seen these sandals and I saw this great story about how the sandals were made by young women coming out of a very vulnerable situation. And because of the job making the sandals, they were able to move forward in their education and be provided with opportunities and get them out of this vulnerable situation. And it was like this really amazing example of social entrepreneurship and how to use business to help people. And then another wedding gift was from a friend of mine. She came to our wedding from Thailand. And while I was living in China, I had gone to Thailand on a vacation and gotten these amazing pants called Thai pants or fisherman pants. And I couldn't find them in the United States. Loved my pants, loved my Thai pants. And I was like, oh, can you please bring me some of these pants? You're coming for the wedding. So that was my wedding gift from her was Thai fisherman pants. So here's this horrible issue. Here's this example of social enterprise. And here are these really funky pants. And so what was I wearing the next day for the first day of my honeymoon? What do you, what was I wearing? The Thai pants. I'm wearing my pants and my sandals, you know? Yes. <laughs> So I, we get on a plane and a TSA agent is like, oh my gosh, I love your pants. Where'd you get those? When was the last time a TSA agent 
commented on your outfit, right? And I'm like, uh, they came from Thailand. Thank you. And then I, we get on the plane and the flight attendant was like, oh, those are so cool. Where'd you get your pants? And I'm like, um, Thailand. And this was the beginning of so many people, literally. And I'm not kidding when I say this. I went to visit a friend at the hospital and this total stranger came up and said, oh my gosh, those pants look so comfortable. Where'd you get the pants? And then another, I'm going to visit, I was going to a shopping mall, I think. And some, a woman chased me through a parking lot. She's like, oh my gosh, those pants are so cool. Where did you get those pants? And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Something is going on with these pants. And I thought, huh, maybe I could start a business selling pants. And then the other side of me, I'm having a conversation with myself, right? Maybe I could start a business selling pants. I don't want to sell pants. Why, why would I sell pants? I have, I have multiple degrees in education and theology. I don't want to start a store selling pants. But then the story of these sandals and the girls that had jobs making the sandals were taken out of this vulnerable situation. And I was like, oh my gosh, if pants, if these pants could be the foundation of a business that could help people coming out of this horrible thing known as sex trafficking or human trafficking, I would sell pants. So in that moment, I decided to sell pants. <laughs> so, Sorry. I, um, it's a huge thing, like to be able to figure out how to practically do something. And like I said, I, I do not come from a business background. So you have a podcast talking about people that step out of their, their zone to do things. I was a teacher and I went to seminary. Do you notice the lack of degrees in business? Like this was, <laughs> this was not, this was not somebody who went to business school and then got an MBA and was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. No, this was like, this was a collision of these three things that came together. God dropped it in my lap and I started a business and I went and sought advice from a businessman who was in the fashion industry. And I'm like, okay, here's my idea. I think I want to sell pants that are made by survivors of sex trafficking and provide jobs for them. And he's like, okay, I think that could work. So he, he gave me all these things. He's like, here's what you need to do. And I took notes and number one, write your executive summary. Number two, trademark your, your name. Number three, write your business plan. Okay. And then I took like pages of notes with everything he said, but those were the top three. I left his office and I was like, okay, number one, Google, what is an executive summary? So <laughs> I don't know what an executive summary is, but I didn't want to tell him that I didn't know what an executive summary is. So anyway, that's how I got started. To be fair, I have a marketing degree and <laughs> I didn't know what an executive summary was until I was required to read one. There you go. So yeah, I, um, I walked into this as trying to be faithful to, yeah. um, to help where I could with the solution to a horrible issue that I saw around the world. That's amazing. And what happened was, yeah, you're doing a business, but you're doing ministry just as you set out to do. 
Mm -hmm. my, my dad went to seminary and the funny thing is you learn a lot of business skills in the church. Mm -hmm. You learn how to build relationships with people. You've got to run it. You've got to kind of run it like a business because operational costs. Right, right, right. Exactly. And then you did education. So what grades did you work with? What age group? Uh, Pre-K and K primarily, but then at for a few years, um, elementary, elementary. So across the board, did you see, do you ever look at some of these victims and the age that they are and think of your students kind of think of that as a kind of like they're, cause that's what the reason I'm going to this is I met a child that was my nephew's age mm. that was in a situation where the parents were absent and being raised by an older sibling that was maybe nine or 10. And I thought, gosh, that's my nephew's age. And he's in that situation. Hmm. No, um, not, I, I was teaching prior to starting Made for Freedom, but about the time I was digging into what, what does this look like? What is this thing in researching human trafficking and what are the things that cause the vulnerabilities? What are the vulnerabilities that cause the exploitation? Um, my niece, uh, one of my nieces was a track runner and she went to a track meet one day and I, you know, I just, she was in the last race and all of these girls, you're talking high school girls, teenage girls that are outside, their families are there screaming for them. The girls are screaming for each other. They're cheering each other on. And I'm looking at these young ladies and I'm thinking they, they deal with issues. They deal with hurt. They deal with things that are difficult, but their situation is so extremely different than those ladies that those young ladies that have been taken from their families are being sold every day to provide sex for whoever. Um, and it just, I just lost it. I mean, I just, I put on my sunglasses. I started weeping and I just like tapped my husband. I'm like, I got to go. And he, during this whole process, he, I would just start crying. I'm reading all these books, these horrible, horrible stories and thinking about my nieces and these young ladies and the, the, the things that I can't even fathom that they're going through. And, you know, we got in the car, he just was quiet and we got in the car and he just, he tapped me on the leg and he's like, I'm just, I'm glad that I know this isn't because of me. (laughs) So, you know, he's like, he goes, I know, you know, he just knows he knew I was dealing with things and I was trying to process this, this atrocity that I was just trying to wrap my brain around it. And it was, you know, there was, um, there was an interesting time, just a business thing wrapping my brain. It just reminds me of one of the, one of the times that my husband again was like my sounding wall, but I got together with this guy who I called him my mentor 
and my tormentor. He was, I think he was far better <laughs> one than the other, but he tormented me relentlessly about my business plan, which was good. And yeah. he mentored me as far as like how to move forward and how to make this, you know, move, making decisions and things. But I asked him and his, the, the CFO from his company to sit down with me and just help me talk through numbers. And they, they threw out these numbers that are not any part of my reality. They're like, okay, so you need, this is what you want to do. Here's what you need to, you need to place this order. You need to hire this many people. You're going to need about a million dollars to start this. And I was like, excuse me, I don't, I, I don't think I need that, you know? And so, but they went through this whole spreadsheet and they had this whole thing laid out and blah, blah, blah. And I just sat there kind of numb going, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with this. And I, later that day, my husband came home from work and he was telling me something about his day. And I think at a certain point, he, he noticed that I was just glazed over and I don't know that I was listening to much, but, um, he goes, well, how was your day? <laughs> and I said, I, I met with the guys to talk about numbers and they said, I need between one and $2 million to make this happen. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even understand. I can't wrap my brain around that much money. Like this is not, these are not numbers that I have dealt with in my world. And I said, but at the same time, on this trip to India, I went to a red light district that has 11,000 women being prostituted out every day. And I can't wrap my brain around that either. So I have all these numbers spinning around my head. I'm like 11,000 women going through this horrible experience and a million, one to $2 million to, to make this thing happen, to help them. And Anyway, um, it was, it was definitely a moment that shook me and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I, um, went downstairs and I'm like, okay, I'm not a numbers person. And all I can think about are numbers. I've got these huge numbers in my head. And I went downstairs and I was, um, I thought I'm just, I'm going to sit down and read my Bible and I'm going to pick up wherever I left off yesterday and it was in Judges, and it was the story of Gideon, and and God was just incredibly real in that moment, and and said, you know, I told him to battle this nation, and he wanted to take thousands of men, and I told him to send most of them home, and it was just, it was so amazing because in that Gideon went forward with 300 men and all of the, all of the professionals, all of the people who were advising, you know, the people who knew what they were talking about would have said, you need thousands of men to do this, but he ended up with 300 and that was what was victorious. And in that moment, God was like, I can do so much more with so little, so much less than what the professionals say, what the, you know, specialists say. And so 
I at least was calmed and I went back to sleep. <laughs> and no, I didn't end up with a million dollars, but we, if I had a million dollars, it would have been easy for people to say, oh, well, she had a million dollars. Of course it was successful, but to start with much less and to still be alive, not me, but the company for the company still be alive. I'm like, yeah, it, it's not because of my business savvy. It's not because we had a million dollars. Um, this is bigger than, this is bigger than that. It's bigger than me. And it's amazing to know that God's always going to be bigger than your anxieties. Mm-hmm. And he's going to make, it sounds like he really just wanted to make this happen. He led you to these situations. Now, when you went to seminary, what, what did you see yourself doing as a seminary student with your calling before made for America? Made for freedom. Made for freedom. Made for freedom. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Um, made for freedom came after seminary. It was while I was at seminary that I saw that video of the undercover reporter that went into Vietnam. And while I was at seminary, we, we planned, there were a couple other students and we were excited about doing something. And there was a safe house that was going to get started in St. Louis. So we had a concert on campus to raise money for the safe house, you know, and I started kind of digging in and learning more uh, while I was there, but really I, I walked in not looking at, not looking at a profession on the other side specifically. I, I, I didn't, I really didn't plan on going to seminary. I didn't want to do more schooling. I already had a bachelor's and a master's and I was ready to get a new job in another country I love being international. I lived in China as a single female for 10 years. Um, I love seeing how God's working in, in and around the world. Um, and when I came back to St. Louis after 10 years in China, God just made it really clear. He wanted me at seminary. And I'm like, that wasn't on the list. I have a list of like five things. And I'm like, I have people that want me to come work for them in these other countries and for these other agencies and organizations that, and it's over and over and over. It was like, yeah, no, this is what I want for you. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to school again. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. It was, it was such a blessing to have that time to dig into scripture, to dig into the covenant that God has made with his people. Um, but he also was preparing me for something far bigger than what I ever dreamed. Yeah. I never, I never, never had dreams of being a business person. Never. I wanted to stay away from business because I had seen how business can exploit people and how it can abuse people and how it uses people. And I wanted to stay far away from business, but seeing this beautiful combination of helping people 
and business, and fashion. which we call f- social enterprise, you know, people still don't understand social enterprise. It's more understood in Europe. Like Europeans, you say social enterprise and they, they're on it. The coasts are starting to get there. Yeah. I'm in the Midwest and a lot of people are still like, huh, you're what? (laughs) So we're not, we're, we are a for-profit. We have a nonprofit arm, but we have chosen specifically to go the nonprofit route for the business to provide dignified employment because the tools and the things that are available to businesses are, I feel are going to be able to help us grow more significantly, therefore impacting more lives. Yes. And the reason I got my words jumbled early and said America instead of freedom is because I think a lot of people, they hear sex trafficking, they hear human trafficking, and they think it's far away from them, that it can't happen to them, that it can't happen Mm -hmm. to their families. But I'm hearing more and more stories about young girls being grabbed from the suburbs. I know we had Brentwood, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville, where a lot of the millionaires live. There was a huge sex trafficking ring busted in Brentwood. Mm -hmm. And you're hearing about the industry thriving off events like the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. major, major athletic events, just major gatherings that the wealthy businessmen go to. And well, (laughs) sad. Also big conferences of pastors and ministries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it. Yeah. Yeah. The drive, the, the fact that it has become so easy is another thing. Like back in the day, you went to a certain part of town and there were girls on the street corner and that, you know, and they probably had a pimp watching to make sure that they did what they were supposed to do and do, you know, follow all the protocol, whatever. But the, uh, the, the ease at which you can order up a girl on your smartphone is it, it just has, it has helped increase the, the growth and it just makes it so much easier. It's, it's horrible, but it has made it, the technology that we have today has really increased the spread. Sorry, I, I think I interrupted you, but you were, oh, you were talking no. about the, the conferences and stuff. And it is, I mean, there's this big chatter. There's always chatter around the Super Bowl that this is the highest traffic day. Any large event, any large event where you have thousands of typically men, you know, like if you think sporting events, you think... I mean, there's, there are all of these basketball, football, baseball, you have thousands and thousands of people coming sometimes specifically to one location where they're out of town. They feel like, you know, oh, nobody's going to see what I do here. And it, yeah. And it just has, it has spread so wildly and it is it, it, anyone who's listening to this and you don't think that it's in your area, just look up your city and look up 
sex trafficking. And you will find that there have been arrests and there have been rings. Any city that has multiple interstates running through it is, is a prime location for traffickers. Yeah. I know Tennessee is a hot state for this. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of stories about it and it's happening. I feel like, you know, as a society, we kind of approach this as it's a, it's a faraway issue. It's a distant issue, but it is happening in literally in people's backyards. Mm -hmm. And I mean, anyone with a child has to be scared out of their minds for this. Right. And what, right. What could potentially happen? And yeah, when I learned that there were basically infants Mm-hmm. and taken from families for this. It, it's mind boggling because the, the traumas and the tragedies that we faced as children, right. We still have to process as adults, but I cannot imagine. I, it's just hard for me to fathom what millions and millions of girls are going through. Right here in the U S and just around the globe. And as you're saying, this industry has exploded and it's not, this is not, you know, your, I guess, what am I trying to say here? This has been run by businessmen, highly intelligent businessmen, it people, people that know how to hack, get around Mm -hmm. the system, create applications that are making it easier for people to do sex trafficking. These aren't, these aren't the shady cats that walk alone by themselves or stalk you in the grocery store. These, this is, what am I trying to say? It's an industry. It's an industry. It's, it's a major conglomerate. It's the fastest growing illegal industry in the world. And it has probably surpassed. It was kind of in the top three with trafficking of arms and trafficking of drugs. But I think I have, I need to check the stats more recently, but it probably has surpassed those to take number one, because the traffickers, they're not stupid. I mean, they're, they're mean and they're deceptive and they're abusing people, but they're not stupid. And they, they know if they want to sell drugs they have to go get the drugs, they sell the drugs, and then they have to go get more drugs. But to sell a girl, you go get a girl and you can sell her over and over and over. And that brings in a lot more money. You know, it's that whole, you have to deal with the whole bringing this girl in, figuring out how to get her to do what you want to do. There's this, what it's, what it's typically called is a seasoning process, which is a horrible thing, but that's that initial, when the girl is first taken or brought in, there's abuse, starvation, um, all sorts of manipulation that it's called the seasoning process until I like to say until they break, they, they just destroy her hope. And she finally is like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I don't have any other options. This is 
This is my life. And so they, they just break her down until her hope is gone and she settles into, okay, this is who I am. And those girls may then go out and become the recruiters and go get other girls to be part of the herd for this pimp. And it is, it's a horrible manipulation of people's vulnerabilities. You know, people who are struggling because they don't have enough money, people who are struggling, the vulnerabilities, the vulnerabilities that we see in the United States are pretty different than some of the other countries where, you know, extreme poverty is much more likely to happen and, you know, different things like that. Um, devaluation of the girl child is that's huge. Like if people, if the society as a whole doesn't value females, then what's the, what's the big deal? It's a girl. This is, it's, it's not important if she, you know, emotionally is crushed and physically destroyed. So there, there are different things that we face in the United States with this, but there's still the money thing. Like if you're struggling for money and you feel like that's what you need, there's that misunderstanding of what you really need. I mean, there are girls that they're, they're, their priorities are so messed up that they think this is their only option and they allow them, you know, they allow themselves, but it is, it's, it's a perpetrator. It's a procurer twisting their thoughts, twisting their ideas, convincing them that they, that this is the best way forward for them. Most of the time it is dealing with insecurities. I mean, how many teenage girls are insecure? Um, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> engineered to be in ways hmm? because agreed other types of greed in society and the beauty industry, we're engineered to not be sure of ourselves because it makes it easier to sell us stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've got all of this stuff and you've got, you know, you've got, I'm a foster mom as well. And kids in the foster system, They've been taken away from their families. They've lost relationships. They, you know, they're in a strange situation. Our foster kids are so vulnerable. Um, teenage, teenage girls that don't have strong family relationships, friend relationships, they're vulnerable. Um, there are so many vulnerabilities that feed into this. So if you have that insecurity, you have the lack of support, you have, society looking at you as less valuable. There, there are people out there that will expose those, bring them to the forefront, make them look like they're bigger than they are and deceive to, to take people into exploitation. And you're talking about some of the vulnerabilities that we need to look out for. I know you go to an airport and in the bathroom, it says, if you're being forced to travel against your will, call this number. There's signs in the bathrooms of what to look out for, for trafficking victims. What are some of the key vulnerabilities that you see that traffickers are looking for? Some of the main vulnerabilities, and it may vary 
depending on it may be different in India than what it is in America. Oh yeah. China. I mean, I think some, there's, there are definitely some similarities, but you know, a friend of mine was trafficked and she was just at the mall with her friends and they were out shopping and this really handsome guy just started paying attention to her. And, you know, there, if you understand, if you understand the vulnerabilities of, if you just understand the insecurities um, and you kind of learn a little bit about, so a trafficker procurer or yeah, usually the procurer would find out, oh, how strong are the family relationships? Does she have a boyfriend? Does she have many friends? So this girl had friends, but she was only kind of hanging out with them, like kind of on the outskirts of even her friends. She, he found out a lot of her girlfriend, a lot of her friends had boyfriends. She didn't have a boyfriend. She didn't have strong family relationships. And as soon as he was able to get that information, he was able to start bringing her in and showing her attention. And this is the Romeo type procure where, or perpetrator that, you know, acts like he's interested. And then what he did was he actually, you know, he talked to her a few times, they were communicating and then handed off, handed her off to some other guy. And that, that was how she got trafficked. But his, this one dude, his job, this good looking guy was just to kind of identify girls at the shopping mall that looked like they were a little insecure. And you can, you can just look by someone's demeanor and by their physical, by their nonverbal communication. There are people that seem very secure, very assured of themselves very sure of themselves. And, and then you see the people who are like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here. I don't, you know, I'm confused. I'm, I feel like I'm less important than, you know, other people, you know, whatever there are these insecurities that kind of weigh people down. So, I mean, when I talk to teenage girls, I'm like, I don't, and, and people that look like they're lost. So another big, another big place to get where procurers and perpetrators go is to like bus stations or train stations. And they'll look for somebody who looks like they don't know where they are and they offer help. And they're like, oh, and this, this is, this will also be women. So the women traffickers, they're good to come alongside because they have more of that mom yeah. look and it's like, oh, well, a woman's not going to do this to me. You know, she just, she's kind of coming alongside like a mom and she wants to help me. Oh, do you need some help? Do you, are you not sure? Are you new in town? Can I help you get to where you're going? And, and then the girl gets handed off to the trafficker. And so when I tell, when I talk to teenage girls, I'm like, if you go to a new town, if you're traveling one, you should be traveling with someone. If you end up in a place and you don't know where you are, or if you end up in a place and you are by yourself and there are people around, 
you stand straight up, you stand up tall and you look them straight in the eye and you look like you can take them. You might not be able to take them. You probably can't take them, but you look at them like you can. And that self-confidence in itself kind of, kind of keeps them away because they're looking for insecure people. So you walk out there and I, if you don't know anything, I don't care. You stand up and you look like you've got it all together. And that, that in itself is going to help. Yeah. That's extremely chilling because I travel by myself. I mean, I'm, I'm traveling to, for a purpose, I'm traveling for work or I have taken a trip by myself before, but hearing that I makes me want to plan ahead and make sure I know where I'm going or at least look like it, at least look like, you know? it. yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. And I mean, it's just, and just not even, that even like teenage girls, I mean, how many times do you go to the mall just to hang out or, you know, mm-hmm. I was in a small town, you went to Walmart just to hang out. Right. Right. And within, what is it, you know, and teenagers, teenagers are teenagers. Um, they, they get mad. They don't want to follow rules. They think I'm out of here and they run away. And it's, I think within 72 hours, there's more than half of the runaways end up in a trafficking situation. Because they, they, they're mad. They're like, I got this. I don't have to listen to anybody. And they, they take off and they end up in a place that they're not familiar with. And they, and I, I don't remember that what the stats are exactly. I need to figure that out, but it's like the 72 hour window. There's this huge person, this scary percentage of people that get taken in and get sucked into trafficking. 72 hour window. That is so important to know Mm -hmm. that and see that information. I wish that was more out there. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I think everyone has run away from home at some point in their life. Right. Even if it was just for a couple hours, but I mean, that's insane to think about. Yeah. And, you know, and then once these girls get trapped, then there are other things to look for. There are other red flags and their risk factors and, you know, being able to identify some of those things and just think through, okay, here's a situation. Cause we, we're coming back into a world where we go out <laughs> like, um, and we are around people. And, and I ask people on a regular basis, if someone right next to you were being trafficked, would you be able to spot the red flags? Would you be able to identify, okay, this person, I I'm a little concerned about this situation. And would you be able to look further? So, you know, looking for, um, does somebody always answer for that person? Okay. So you ask a question to somebody and you're like, Hmm, this looks like a, this little sketch. There's, there's a young lady and this old guy, and she doesn't look like she's very happy. And he looks, he looks like maybe he's a little controlling. I don't know. And then you start talking to the young lady. And if the guy is the one who keeps answering, oh, that's not good. No, that is not a good situation. And, you know, so just being aware of some of these things that, can help, can help us go, okay, I'm at a local restaurant and it, 
appears that this person is living in the restaurant, you know, and is here every time I come and doesn't seem to be getting vacations and, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of things. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, I had a seasonal job at Victoria's Secrets. Mm. And when you saw older men shopping for clothes, buying small, extra small, Mm -hmm. a huge red flag. And, and I didn't even think about that at the time that was sex trafficking was not, this was over 10 years ago. It's not something that was constantly on my mind, Mm -hmm. but it's odd to think, see somebody that's not a teenage girl, a young 20 something, or even, you know, a woman in general or a group of women together, anybody other than that, that's shopping for underwear or buying right. something that's not their size. Like, right. why, are, why are you buying underwear for somebody else? You know, you've, for a bra, you have to measure that person and mm-hmm. it's properly. Right. Right. So it, it's just huge what you watch out for. And, you know, even in any store where they're buying clothes, like age appropriate clothing and everything now is a little more scandalous. I mean, and there's nothing, I'm, I'm a body positive person. So I'm not necessarily against showing the midriff, wearing the short shorts, wearing whatever you're comfortable in. But to think that clothing is more scandally clad than what it once was. Right. Can be a concerning issue when you see somebody else buying it for it, other than the person themselves. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even that, that devaluation of the girl child, but also that devaluation of women and that thinking, oh, well, this is what women are for. Yeah. You know? And the, some of the comments that we have in our culture about oh, it's okay for men to sleep around, but not for women and, and things like that. It just feeds, it feeds this whole process. It feeds the industry. It feeds the, it feeds the exploitation of usually young people, not, not exclusively, but usually. Yeah. And even when getting together with friends, you want to listen to a good, a good beat in the music Mm. and so many rock stars and hip-hop artists it's not just hip it's all music where they devalue women some very popular artists actually Mm -hmm. rap about date rape drugs Mm -hmm. and that's cool it's it's just entertainment right in, in movies like I personally will not watch a movie where there's a rape scene right even if it's a part of the story, you can insinuate it without showing things, without the sadistic mm-hmm. nature of it. That's not something I want to see. Yeah, it's it's something no one should be watching. <laughs> it's something no one should be watching, but it just blows my mind how this is an industry that people are supporting and making money off of. I'm not, not to be self-righteous and say, well, I will never watch that. I can't believe you're watching that. I'm not going to tell other people what to perceive as entertainment, but where do we draw the line? Like, how do we voice out that this is not okay? And, you know, we've come, we've come a long way in some ways when it comes to how American culture treats women and sees women, but we've still got ways to go. Mm -hmm. Right. Major ways to go. Just even a swimsuit issue in sports illustrated. This is Mm -hmm. about sports. Unless they're on a swim team. Why do we need that? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, it's, 
objectification of women and yeah it, it's pervasive but how do we how do we fight that how do we how do we battle that how do we step up make a change make a difference in in the in, in the industries that are legal and illegal you know yes. i think i think a lot of people are a lot of people are becoming more aware that our purchases can really make an impact. I mean, a very popular model, a very popular business model is the give back model. And that, you know, as we look at, okay, how can I make this world a better place? Because I, I absolutely believe most people want to make the world a better place. And it's been really interesting in kind of just commerce in general and in business, the number of businesses that are starting to do a give back thing. Well, for every, every purchase, we donate this much. And for every this, we donate that. And, um, and that is, that's, it's great because people are thinking, okay, how can I help? Um, it's not always, I mean, there is a, I don't know if you've heard the term, greenwashing. So there's whitewashing, we know whitewashing, but yeah. greenwashing is when companies started promoting and marketing that they were using all this recycled material. Okay. So yeah. we're being green, but the term greenwashing came because people realized, oh, that's not the numbers that they're putting out there aren't quite as impressive as they appear. You know, you can use stats to, to almost prove anything. And they were saying these things that made it sound like, oh my gosh, we're so green. But anyway, it's, I, it's been interesting to see how businesses see consumer trends are, we want to help make this world a better place. Therefore, the brands are like, okay, we're going to give back and we're going to, you know, and that will help our sales. So in some way, it, there are times that it really is about the give back. And there are times that it's about this would boost our revenue. And I mean, I had an example. <laughs> I was working with an office of women and this lady's daughter, who was a friend of mine, died from breast cancer. And it was, it's tragic. It, it, that's just tragic. And, you know, she lost her daughter. Well, she brought in this magazine and it was for all of these different items, mostly fashion things that were pink. Okay. I love pink, a good hot pink. I'm all about a good solid hot pink. We're both in red, it's, another. Yeah. Yeah. Colors. Nice, strong colors, you yes. know, but I, there's this pink scarf and it, it was more expensive than I think any other scarf I'd purchased, but it was pink and money from that was going to help with research to fight breast cancer, you know, and here's this woman, her daughter died from breast cancer. I'm like, do I want to see breast cancer stop? Absolutely. I like pink. I like scarves. Okay. I'll buy the scarf. So I'm waiting for the scarf to arrive. Cause I had to order it and I'm waiting for the scarf. And I start reading through the catalog a little bit more and there's this little bitty fine print. And it was like 0.05% of the, 
of the money goes to research. And I was hacked off. I was like, are you kidding me? And about this time, I was also digging into the fashion industry to think about, okay, how do we do these pants? How do we build a business? And I, and it was also really close to the time that that um, Rana Plaza in Bangladesh collapsed with the sweatshop making all of these, this apparel. And I'm learning about sweatshops and I'm learning about the fashion industry and I'm learning about all this stuff. And this magazine is saying, oh, we're going to fight. They're, they're getting sales because they're going to fight breast cancer, you know, and help with research. But in reality, it's a tiny little amount, 0.05. I'm like, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> 0.05, not five, not 0.5, 0 0.05% of the money I just spent. And then I'm thinking, but where's the scarf made? Did you, did you order a bunch of scarves from Bangladesh? Like you're not telling me about your supply chain because you might be one of those fashion companies that's ordering from the sweatshops in Bangladesh. And I'm, I'm not trying to call out Bangladesh, but that was a huge thing at the time. Like thousands of people died. And where did this get made? Are you contributing to poverty, generational poverty be, through sweatshops trying to make fashion? And then all you're talking about is we're going to stop cancer. And I'm like, I was just, I was hacked. And I, I use that as an example because I'm like, the give back can be good, but if you're a consumer and you want to help make this world a better place, look at what kind of jobs are being provided. Are the people making this product living a life of poverty or is this dignified employment? Are they being provided with the things that are essential for life? Are they, are they able to send their kids to school or are their kids working in the factory as well? Because no one can afford anything, you know, like if, the give back is there and it's minuscule, even if the give back is decent, if you're selling a product that is contributing to poverty, you're part of the problem because poverty is a vulnerability that gets people drawn into exploitation. So that give, don't talk to me about a give back if you are part of creating a vulnerability that ends up in exploitation. Can you say that again? Because I just think that really needs to stick, that poverty is a vulnerability driving people into exploitation. Po yeah, extreme, that extreme poverty makes people vulnerable to the perpetrators, the procurers, the traffickers. That, that desperate situation, that vulnerability. So poverty is a vulnerability that leads to exploitation. And I mean, there are a lot of vulnerabilities that, that make people vulnerable to the perp perpetrators, to the procurers, but poverty is huge. Poverty is a huge one. And so that's what, when I see these, can you tell, I get a little bit, <laughs> I get a little, I get on a little bit of a soapbox because you're very people, passionate about what you do. Well, when people, people are like, oh, how much do you give back? And I'm like, our products are made by survivors. 
our products are made by survivors of trafficking. We work with we work with people who have already been exploited and we are making sure they have dignified employment. They can support themselves. They're getting out of that vulnerable situation. We also work with people who are marginalized. We work with people who are vulnerable so that they're not in poverty. They don't have that vulnerability. So it's just, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I am incredibly passionate about it. And I, I love talking to people about, okay, look at supply chain. Who's making this product? Is this product a result of a sweatshop or is this a product a result of dignified employment? And then I love talking about the fact that our products are exclusively made by people coming out of vulnerable situations, people who have been exploited, who desperately needed a a job and the the services that come through the partners that we partner with. Yeah. And another thing that does not come up in everyday conversation because we live in a profit over people society is dignified employment. Mm-hmm. A, a job that not only provides proper wages, but provides just a meaningful living. Right. Right. You know, and, and sometimes people talk to me about, um, there was a time when I was starting Made for Freedom, people would be like, oh, a living wage. And a living wage is good. Yeah. But, there's, but there's more to this than just how much you get paid. And that's, it's important. You have to be able to pay for your expenses. You need to be able to pay certain things. There is Living wage is important, but you can make a whole lot more than living wage as a trafficker, but there's no dignity in that. Yeah, you know, so providing, and so that's when I started talking dignified employment, and that means living wage, but it also means you can hold your head up high, and you're you're using the skills and the abilities that you've been given, and you know, and you're actually benefiting this world, not tearing people down. Yeah, and when I found you on Instagram, I saw Made for Freedom, and I saw these beautiful gifts, everything mm. from cosmetics, shirts, jewelry. I mean, if you listeners out there, if you're getting ready for an upcoming occasion, this is being recorded in November. So Christmas gifts, any upcoming occasion, any gifts consider made for freedom because you're going to be finding something beautiful, not only an amazing gift, but this is going towards a very worthy cause. And to me, if I receive something that's helping other people, that just makes that gift more special. Well, thank you for saying that. That's, I mean, that is one of the things that, one of the things about our products, people love giving them as gifts and the people who receive them or the people who purchase them, the thing that I have found is they become advocates And, you know, so you wear this new necklace and it, you know, some people are like, oh, it's a necklace, but we carry, we carry unique pieces. And I, and a lot of them have really amazing statements. And even if it doesn't have a statement, like we were carrying purses for a while. And this lady is the day she bought her purse. She went to the dentist and the dentist was like, oh, I really like your purse. And she's like, let me tell you about this purse. This was made. And then the woman that is just complimenting a fashion piece is inspired to, to make this world a better place and to help people by dignified employment. So, 
Yeah. So anyone who's looking for a gift, I personally think we're a great place. Um, also, anyone who just wants to know a little bit more about red flags, risk factors, and at our website, there's a top banner and you can download, you can get a free download of a card that just talks a little bit more specifically about red flags and risk factors and action items. That's great to include with the gifts too. Well, that, yeah, that's true. That is true. So they know where the gift came from. Yes. Well, and all of, all of our products actually have a story on the back. So they tell the story of one of the survivors that makes our products. So we partner with, we partner with about 15 centers around the world and each, each piece comes with a story and a bookmark that kind of explains, okay, this is, this is how this product is changing lives. That's that's so inspirational and and it's very necessary. And people are going to listen to this and they're going to want to support made for freedom. How I know listening to this issue, it really has me fired up. I want to do something. How can we help you in this fight against human trafficking? Well, thank you for asking. It's, um, it, it is something I'm very passionate about, as you can see. And, you know, it's been interesting running this business because we sell all sorts of products. We sell jewelry and accessories. We are getting more pants. Some people are going to hear the story about the pants and be like, oh, I want the pants. And I will tell you, our, the pants, our first several orders of pants came from a center and they sent me an email and they said, we are getting amazing opportunities for our, our ladies to further their education and start careers. And I was like, yes, this is wonderful. And then the email continued and we are no longer sewing. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> so, word. You know, it, it's, it was wonderful. It's, it's a great thing to be part of that. But we're working with a new vendor, our new supply, a new group that is providing dignified employment for survivors. So we're in the process of getting more pants. So if you go to the site and you're like, I want the pants, sorry, they're coming. Um, But as far as helping there, one easy thing would just be kind of spread the word. So if you hear this podcast and you're like, wow, I didn't know this about trafficking, share the podcast. If you want to, if you want to look at the products made by the survivors, go to madeforfreedom.com. Um, and we have, we just have some really cool stuff. I will, I'll tell you about one piece that I, it is, it's like one of my favorite pieces. I can't say my favorite. I don't have a favorite, but there's this seek justice bar necklace and it's stainless steel and it has writing on three sides. It says seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And it is such a powerful statement and it's this beautiful piece. We have a key ring as well. Um, so, you know, we have really strong statement pieces that if you just, if you're like, okay, I have to do something, I'm hearing about this horrible thing. How can I get involved? That's an, you know, you can share about made for freedom. You can go to the website, you can purchase something. You'll also see on the website, go deep or get involved. And that because I have met so many people that are like, this is incredible. I want to help. 
I want to, I'll buy something, but I want to do more than that. I want people to, I want people to understand this more. So we have put together this program where you can order a kit and you can be part of sharing a, a presentation that talks way more about exploitation. And it's called the five key components of exploitation. And it's this video presentation and you can get together online or you can bring people together in your home and you all sit and you learn about, it's kind of a trafficking 101, but you learn a lot about what causes this, what leads to it and how do women and men get out of this situation? So I do a pretty thorough walkthrough and then you can, with your friends, kind of talk about that, but you can also shop. So it's kind of learn about the issue, be part of the solution. So those are a few ways to get involved. That's incredible. And I think a lot of times people hear about human trafficking, they kind of want to jump in right away, but they don't have the proper training for it. Absolutely. This I, is a great way. Yeah. And I mean, I get, I mean, I get it. I wanted, I wanted to do something. I, I went on a tour just learning about sex trafficking. I, and I literally wanted to just stay there. I was like, I'm just going to move into the red light district and I'm going to talk to these women and help them understand that they are way more valuable than this and they don't need to do this. And then I remembered, oh, I just got married six months ago. And there's this really sweet man waiting back in the United States for me. So hmm, I guess I'm going to have to figure out another way to help. And, and this, the more I learn about the impact of having a good job and providing a solid space, a safe space and a living wage and dignified employment for survivors and for people in these incredibly difficult situations, the more I'm committed to doing, to selling a necklace or a pair of pants or a purse, because it really is impacting lives in ways I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Wonderful. Wonderful. And every woman likes to get something nice for herself. Yeah. Or for a friend. So you, you found an amazing niche. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, and it's really fun because we, we're constantly updating, you know, I was looking at just before the podcast, I was looking at some of our suppliers and new things that they're coming out with. And I'm like, Oh, that looks fun. That looks fun. We've got bath and body stuff coming. We've got these amazing leather bags. Okay. These leather bags, they have all the pockets in the world. They have a water bottle pocket and the strap is adjustable. So you can do shoulder bag, crossbody bag, or backpack. I'm oh telling my gosh. you, fling back. So I love my backpack person. <laughs> and they just came out with a mini. So there's a mini sling back and there's a sling back. And these bags blow my mind. They are so amazing. You know, but so these are being made by marginalized artisans. And we've got these necklaces that are made by survivors coming out of red light districts. And we've got these, you know, we have these people, we have these products from made by people in 15 different locations, more to come in the United States and other countries around the world. I love it. I, I can't wait to see what else you are going to do in the near future. I follow you on Instagram. I'm going to include your webpage and Instagram in the show notes. 
Oh, fabulous. That would be lovely. Find you. And these are a couple of questions I ask every guest on the show. Okay. And the first one is what book have you read that you think inspired you or even changed your life? Oh, and it can be, it can be a magazine article, just something that you've read or a podcast that you listen to. Well, I, I mean, the, I mean, I have one that comes to mind immediately for somebody that really wants to dig in to, to better understand what I'm talking about with vulnerabilities. Um, it's called sex slaves. I, I, when I was reading this, I was on the trip to India and we were looking at ways to get that women are taken out of exploitation. And I was reading this book that is all about what lands them in exploitation. So it's anyway, sex slaves by Louise Brown. Um, but I have to tell you, I mean, that was years ago that I read that, but that when someone comes to work for me, when someone wants to intern for made for freedom, that's the book I hand them. I'm like, you need to read this. You need to get a better understanding of what, what this atrocity looks like and the real life behind it. Cause we're going to talk a lot about marketing and business, but you need to really dig into the nasty side of this. Yeah. But I will tell you, um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the economist. I just think they do great. I think they do. I, this has been my favorite magazine since college. And I think they do a great job of just talking about the world. It's not, you know, I can, I can get a vision for what's happening around the globe and every issue. I see something that talks about how important it is. Like just read the most recent one was talking about countries who leave women behind, get left behind. Like if you don't value your women, if you're degrading them, if you're devaluing them, I think I just said that twice. But <laughs> Ain't it. Um, when countries learn to appreciate and value their women contribute so much anyway. So every episode, every, every issue of the economist, I, I flip it and I don't have my stack right here. I have so many, I open it to that page and I'm like, I need to talk about this. You know, the extreme poverty COVID has just taken us 20 years in the past as far as extreme poverty. And if you're talking about vulnerabilities, extreme poverty is one. I'm sorry, I'm getting on another soapbox. I answered your question, right? <laughs> and you're welcome to get on your soapbox. <laughs> I have a few, but anyway, yeah. I, the economist, when I, cause the five key components of exploitation, vulnerabilities, perpetrators, procurers, exploitation. What does that look like? Rescue and restore, return and reintegrate. So these are the big five things. I all, like almost, I see so many stories that go back to that. Um, but a lot of it goes back to vulnerabilities and things that make people vulnerable. So. Incredible. And I agree on The Economist. I, that's, that's one of my go-to news sources because it paints a bigger picture than some of the other more popular media hubs. Right. You, you can choose the continent you want to read about that, that issue. Yes. And then, you know, you talked about sex slaves being an older book, great, impactful 
books always have their message. Mm. People on the show, I've had two or three people say Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich was their mm. book that changed their lives. So I'm definitely going to be checking out Sex Slaves because this is just a yearning that I've had human trafficking is something that I've had a yearning to get involved in somehow and help make a difference in fighting human traffic. Mm, that's awesome. So, that, that, and that book will definitely take you there. Good. Good. Well, another question, this started off actually as a financial planning podcast, mm. money management, but what this kind of grew into is I was interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs, how they manage their money but then I noticed there was more impactful stories on it. So this is kind of more of a self-development, go for your dreams, live the life that you want to live, live with passion message in the podcast. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do love to ask people and just love to hear is what is the one thing you don't go cheap on that you buy for yourself? What is your one indulgence? Mm, Good question. I'm kind of my indulgence. I don't know. I'm kind of a tech toy geek. I don't, that's probably not, but I love, and I don't know that I, my indulgence, do I spend a lot of money on that? I, okay. I I like tech toys, but I don't spend, I'm still pretty frugal. I, I, I'm pretty frugal on a lot of things. I would say, my one indulgence is my digital SLR and I haven't spent enough time with it, but I, I take date nights with my camera and I can go and spend a few hours. And if, if someone's with me, unless they're a photographer, like I'm not going to drag somebody else along because they're not going to want to stay in one spot and do 30 different shots just to get the perfect depth of field and the right light, you know, you know, no one, someone who's not a photographer doesn't want to sit around for that. But I, I do date nights on occasion with my camera and I, I got a nice one so that I could play a lot. Yeah. Photos are everything when I'm on a vacation or a trip or just around my friends, I will take a lot of pictures. I won't upload them to social media or anything like that. I just like to keep them for myself. Mm-hmm. because that's a way for me to relive the moments. Now I'll turn my phone on. Do not disturb. Yeah. I definitely want to invest into a great camera. Yeah. Just because there's something very therapeutic about taking a lot of photos and, you know, take photos of difficult to capture mm-hmm. moon or reflections in nature. That was one of the assignments I had in my photography class that I struggled with. Cause it's like, I just go to lake and take pictures. And then I saw what other people did and I said, okay, I wish I would have thought outside the box, but nice. It's nice. It's, it's extremely therapeutic. And then just once again, we talked about it earlier, but I wanted to end the episode with you telling us how we can support you. And also what message do you want to leave everyone with? <sighs> well, supporting us looks I, the way we measure our impact and the, the whole reason made for freedom exists is providing dignified employment. When you provide dignified employment for people in vulnerable situations, it changes lives. And so that's how we measure our impact. And 
And I guess every piece that we sell is a result of dignified employment. So anytime there's a purchase made from Made for Freedom, anytime there's a, you share a social post, you follow us on Instagram and you like our stuff, you follow us on Facebook, you follow us on Pinterest, anytime you see our stuff and you share it and you help get the word out, that helps. Purchasing our product when it's time for someone's birthday gift or when it's time for your, a treat for yourself. Um, every purchase from Made for Freedom is the result of dignified employment and it's changing lives. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to gather with other people and you're like, okay, I want to be part of this, but I also want to bring people with me and I want to go deep. And the reason it's called deep, we have these deep fashion events. And I've talked a lot about dignified employment and I've, you know, but deep is an acronym for dignified employment empowers and protects. And so we have these deep fashion events that just allow you to learn more and, and be part of the solution. Wonderful. At madeforfreedom.com. Madeforfreedom.com. I'll, yeah. I'll definitely put it in the show notes or anything else you want me to include. Just let me know. But okay. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I, I thank you for having me. It's, yes. I love I love being able to share what we're doing, but it's also, it's also great just to talk to people who are so passionate and wanting to be part of the fight. Uh, our tagline is fight human trafficking with style. You know, there are a lot of ways to raise awareness, to get the word out, to help people understand better. And just having a podcast focusing on this topic is huge. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you for bringing this information to us because it's something that I did want to give a voice to and you were the perfect person to advocate today. Well, great. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Ella, the host of For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. I wanted to, first of all, thank you for listening and supporting an independent podcast. I'm an aspiring motivational speaker and marketer who wanted to give a platform to other risk takers, empire builders, and out of the box lifers in the world. By listening, you are showing support for everyday folks like you and myself, pursuing the lives they've always wanted by ditching societal norms and dedicating time to others. To show more support, feel free to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on Spotify. You can also find the show on iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcast, and many other independent platforms. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you are feeling inspired.